Buenos días y bienvenidos a nuestro servicio en inglés Entonces si eres un amigo o amiga que hablas español Bienvenidos, después de esto a las 11 Vamos a tener un grupo totalmente en español para ustedes Entonces quería que ustedes supieran eso uh, Good morning everyone, my name is Misael González And uh, it is such an honor to be with you this morning again And so before we start, there's something I want to do, and I just want to celebrate as a church family, because we're a family, and families have to celebrate, and so I haven't told anyone what I'm doing this morning, so I might embarrass some of you, so I'm really sorry. So here's the first thing I want to celebrate. I want to celebrate uh, Sarah Bonham. Sarah, will you just stand up and just wave to everyone? I'd love for you to just do that. Come on. Just wave. Amazing. Amazing. The reason I want to celebrate Sarah and her whole team is because Sarah is the, uh, the Tulsa associate for our kids here uh, in Tulsa, and she's put in so much work this summer, like Bouncing to Summer, Influence in the Park, Wild Wednesdays. I mean, I could just keep going. And so she's done an incredible job with our kids and all the hard work that she's put into that. Okay, the next person, the next thing I want to celebrate is Avery Johnson. Avery, where did you go? Oh, you're right in the front. Avery, we just stand up. I just want you to wave. I just want you to wave. Okay. So the reason I want to celebrate Avery Johnson and what she has done is because she actually just came back from Honduras. She was in Honduras for about a month, and she was being there as a missionary. And what's amazing, like I love Avery's heart, is that now she's going to go to Mexico. Is it next week? Tomorrow. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Sorry. Today has been a really long week. So tomorrow she goes, she goes to Mexico, which is incredible. She's going to go see Jose Luis, who is a dear friend of mine, and I love him so much. And then do we have uh, the Zamoras in the building? I don't know if I saw you guys. Okay. Do you guys have the little baby with you? Okay. Can I, can I just have you stand up? I just want to have you stand up. Okay. This is amazing. Let's stand up and just celebrate what the Lord has done. I don't know if you guys remember. You can sit down. I don't know if you guys remember, but we're looking at a miracle baby. Like, we prayed over that baby when it was in the hospital. We had no idea what was going to happen. And so I hope you know that every time you see this beautiful baby, you say, that is a work of God. And God is working. And this is absolutely amazing. And so the last thing I want to celebrate with you is uh, last night we had, no, not last night. Two nights ago, on Friday, we had this thing called Noche de Vida, which was the very first time in the history of our church that we've done any kind of service that was completely in Spanish, completamente en español, which was crazy. So I think that's something we're celebrating right there. And look, there is so much more that we can celebrate. We can celebrate life change, but the person that I was going to celebrate is not actually in here this morning, so next time we'll have him stand up. But celebrate life change and transformation because God is so good and he's moving. And I just love the song Waymaker that says that the Lord is moving even when we don't see it. And so when people ask me, Misael, what's happening in Tulsa? I usually say, well, first come check it out. It's awesome. What's happening in Tulsa is amazing. And the second thing I usually say is that God is setting the stage and raising up leaders in order to do something incredible in this community and in this place. And I truly believe it. And so I just wanted to make sure that I said that this morning before we started. Uh, and so then I have a question for you guys in order to like really start and begin to process their sermon. Have you ever been in a position in your life where maybe you've hurt somebody's feelings Uh, maybe you said something, or maybe you did something, or maybe you thought something that just really hurt their feelings. 
You see, I've been in that position in my life. And most of the time, I think it's on accident. Most of the time, it's maybe something I said jokingly. Maybe it was something I didn't say. Maybe I didn't say hi to somebody. Uh, Just literally last week, one of my friends, I hurt his feelings because I didn't talk church with him. Uh, He's not someone who's in ministry. He's actually uh, a psychologist. And so he asked me, hey, how are things at church? And I said, hey, man, they're awesome. God is incredible. I love it. And he got his feelings hurt. He's like, hey, I can talk church. Like, I can talk, you know, what's going on. And I was like, yes, I know you can, but I was just, I wanted to talk with other people. So I hurt his feelings. But then there's other times that we hurt people's feelings very intentionally. Okay, when I was a seventh grader, do you have any seventh graders in here? Seventh grade, anybody, anybody? Okay. Well, when I was, okay, seventh grade. When I was in seventh grade, I was kind of a short shrimp, a little short guy. And so I had a friend who came up to me one time and said, Misael, you're so short. And I said, oh, yeah, I hope your dog dies. Like, just came back. Well, I didn't know her dog died like two days ago. Yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of bad. But I intentionally was just like, oh, I just want to hurt your feelings because, like, you called me short. And so there's these moments in our life that we, we hurt people's feelings, and when that happens, this relationship is torn. Whether it's on accident or whether it's on purpose, this relationship is just not the same. And, and honestly, when I hurt people's feelings, I feel like the worst. I feel like the absolute worst. And the only thing I can truly do to mend that relationship together is to genuinely go before them and say, hey, I understand how I hurt you. And I, and I get it. And then I, can I just ask for your forgiveness? Like I just, I need your forgiveness. I want to ask you, I understand what I did. And then in return, what they have to do is they have to say, well, I get it. I accept your apology. I accept that you understood your words and your actions and, and I forgive you. And this is actually a big concept and a hard one for us to understand as we look at this passage. Because when it comes to love, we have to understand that love restores. Love restores and Part of this is that forgiveness is the avenue in which restoration happens. Forgiveness is the avenue in which um, restoration happens. And so the reason I say that love restores is actually because we're in the series called Love Is. And so just to make sure we're on the same page, we are in this series called Love Is. And and the big idea of this whole series I want to make sure we capture is that we have to remember who love is in a world that has distorted what love is. There's this big difference of who love is and what love is. And that's the foundation of this entire series. And I want to remind you of John 3.16 that says that God first loved and then he sent. Remember what I said last week where that God didn't send to test the waters to see if he could love us? No, no, no. He, he first loved and then he sent, which is just incredible because when I think of 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it has everything to do with because God loved us first, then we can love. And that's just incredible. And so thank you for, for being with us. We're actually going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament. It's, it's kind of like this, uh, more like in the back. And don't be afraid to go to the very beginning and look at the table of contents and, and say, okay, where's 1 Corinthians again? But we're going to be in chapter 13. And as you get there to chapter 13, I just remind you of last week. Last week we talked about how when in doubt, love 
when in doubt, love. And then we talked about how love is thoughtful, love is peaceful. And we're going to look at more of what love is this morning. And, and so if you're with me, let's go ahead and stand up. And we're going to read starting in verse 1 of chapter 13. And we're going to go all the way to verse 6. It says this, If I speak in tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. This is the word of the Lord, and praise be to God. Amen. You may be seated. So let's not forget that Paul is the one who has authored this letter to the church of Corinth. And the church of Corinth was battling themselves. Honestly, you could see a lot of their ego coming out because Paul was addressing of saying, okay, you guys are fighting about these gifts, these gifts of the spirit, these gifts of prophecy, these gifts of all these things. But guys, if you do not have love, you gain nothing, you have nothing. And so I want us to make sure we remember that because Paul, in verse 6, which will be our focus, in verse 6, he provides one sentence that compels us to change our lifestyle of how we love and the lifestyle that we should live when we do have love. And so if you're taking notes, here's the big sermon idea this morning for us. And I've already said it, I just want to highlight it, is that love restores. Love restores restores. When we think about this idea of that love restores, we have to remember how God has extended restoration to humanity through forgiveness. And this forgiveness was through a payment of Jesus Christ who paid our debt. And so he is the one who loved us though we were in the wrong. And, and we have to make sure we remember this because forgiveness is one of those things that comes really hard to human beings. We're the other people who want to say, we are always right. I don't need to say sorry. But the truth is, I think we need to say sorry more often than we think. And so here's the first point I want us to get. The first point this morning uh, comes from that beginning of verse 6 where it says, love does not delight in evil. And so what we see here is that love is holy. Love is holy. So I, wanted to, I want to define a little bit what it means that love does not delight in evil. I think of two things when I see this statement. The first thing I think of is almost someone like swimming in evil. Someone who just delights to be in the waters of evil, the waters of unrighteousness, the waters of, of, of unholiness. They just delight to be in it. And then the second aspect of this that I think of is well, someone who delights uh, and evil is someone who maybe loves to see someone else be in sin. They love to see someone fall. They love to see someone mess up. They love uh, to see the person that they hate the most just, just do all the bad things and not get anything that's good in their life. You see, we love to see people that we hate fall. And when you think about hate, hate is not holiness. Hate is not holy. 
but love is holy. And so I want to remind us of, of Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22 that says this. It's talking about hate. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And this is Jesus talking right here. You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. And then 1 John chapter 3, verse 15 puts it crazy clear. It says, anyone who hates a brother or sister it is, is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. You see, holding on to anger, holding on to hate is a type of delighting in evil. It's a type of delighting in it in a way that I just don't want to forgive someone for what they've done to me or to someone else. I don't want to hand it off to the Lord and say, Lord, you take care of it. We just want to delight and swim in the waters of hate, swim in the waters of anger. And I want to make sure we remember what forgiveness is as well. You know, so many times we hear this cliche saying of, you know, forgive and forget, forgive and forget. Well, forgiveness is not really forgetting. Think about God. God forgives, but does God forget? Never. So forgiveness, what it really is, is, is this aspect or this action of, of not holding someone's sin against them. Though you completely remember and understand what they've done. It's not holding this sin or this action against them. It's truly forgiving that person and saying, you know, I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to set you free from that. And the beautiful thing is, is that when we set them free from that with forgiveness, it really sets us free as well. It's this beautiful action, this, this double-edged sword, you could almost say. And so I also want to define this for us, right? So if, if love does not delight in evil... If it does not delight in unholiness, it should delight in holiness. So we should be a people who delight and swim in the waters of holiness, swim in the waters of righteousness, swim in the waters of good. And so I want to help us define what holiness is. Because if we say that love is holy, what we're really saying is that God is holy. That's who he is, that God is holy. And so because God is holy, because God is good, well, that means that we ought to also be holy, and we're gonna look more about that. And so in short terms, what holiness means is holy mean, holiness is set apart, being set apart. And so we're gonna look at some verses that help us identify what holiness is because I think for us this morning that when we understand God's holiness, I think it's going to help us understand our helplessness. It's going to help us understand our sin, our depravity, and how we need the Lord and his holiness in our life. And so I want you to write down Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. Exodus 15, 11. This is going to show us that God, to say that God is holy is to say that he is perfect and morally pure. So hear this. Exodus 15, verse 11 says this. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And then I want you to write down 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. This shows us that God, to say that he is holy, is to say that he is eternal and distinct from creation. So it says this in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. There is none holy like the Lord. 
There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. It's just beautiful. And then Psalms 96, 9. I want you to write that down too. Psalms 96, verse 9. Here it shows us that God is the perfect judge, but also the giver of mercy. The perfect judge and the giver of mercy. It says this, Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. And then here's, here's literally my favorite picture of holiness of God, which is Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Here it shows that God is the eternal standard of goodness. And so I, I want you to turn to Isaiah with me. So Isaiah, uh, if you kind of open up your Bible in the middle and then start going to the right a little bit, you'll end up hitting Isaiah. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 6 together. I think this is just a beautiful picture of, of holiness. So I'm going to start reading in verse 1, and we'll go all the way to verse uh, 7. And I just want to read it over you. It says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robes filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and their thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And now we see Isaiah and what he says. He says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to him with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away in your sin atone for. Here we have this beautiful picture of the glory of God, and you have Isaiah who's standing there looking and watching and all of this, and he goes, man, woe is me. What you saying, man, I am helpless. Woe is me. I am unclean. I have unclean lips. And just to make sure we understand what's going on here in the Old Testament, if you look at the first five books of the Bible, you have this thing called the law. And the law helps humanity understand that they are unclean. Like anywhere between just being born to, hey, if you touch something that's dead, you become unclean. Or if you wear a type of cloth that has two uh, different cloths, you're unclean. And what they had to do is they had to make a sacrifice for that. So if they touched something unclean, they became unclean. Okay? So now think about this. So Isaiah is, in, is here, and he is the unclean one which means that anything, technically, anything that would have touched Isaiah would now become unclean. Okay, so now Isaiah is here and he says, woe is me, me and of unclean lips. This angel comes, the seraphim comes with this coal and touches the lips of Isaiah. Technically, according to the law, the coal should have become unclean, but what happens? The coal cleans Isaiah. And it's this beautiful picture. It says, your sins are now atoned for. You are now clean. 
which is a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ, where Jesus, who is holy, he is the one who came down for us and atoned for us, which means that he paid the price for us. He is the one who made us holy, and now because of him, we can stand in front of God holy because of Jesus. It's this beautiful picture that love is holy, and that makes us holy when we put our faith and trust in him and understand that. And when we think about all of this, I turn to 1 Peter chapter 15, verse 16, that says, But as he who called you is holy, you also will be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And that's just beautiful because humanity has always flourished the best when they understand the holiness of God and they understand their helplessness. And they understand that when their desires and and the things that they want to delight in are of God, that's when they flourish the most because God's holiness is the standard in which we compare all things that are right and all things that are wrong. And so when we look at all of this, we see that love restores because of God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness has restored all things and he's restored us. And I want us to keep that in mind because I truly believe that forgiveness is an act of holiness. And that's hard to swallow because not many of us really like to forgive But we have to be mindful that forgiveness is an act of holiness and and holding a grudge and and hating someone or or holding something against someone is all of humanity and not of God. Because I want you to think about this, and you might want to write this down. We will never have the right to stop forgiving others until God stops forgiving us. Think about that that we will never have the right to stop forgiving others until God stops forgiving us. Which that begs the question, when will God ever stop forgiving us? Never. And I think that's really important for us to understand. It's important to understand that. And, and so I wanna, I wanna just ask you a couple questions according to this text. Are you someone who's delighting in evil? Are you someone who right now is swimming in these waters of unrighteousness? If that's you, I I just hope you know that forgiveness is there for you. Forgiveness is available for you in Jesus. And maybe today, this morning, is the moment to just repent and say, Lord, I, I understand. I understand how I have hurt both you and other people. Lord, I get it. And Lord, will you, will you forgive me? Because maybe you came in here this morning and your heart was full of anger. Your heart was, was full of, of pride. Maybe your heart was, was just full of hatred towards someone. And maybe this is the morning and this is the time to say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for, for you are holy and I am not. I am helpless. And so, Lord, forgive me for not remembering who you are and how you extend forgiveness to people. And so, Lord, I want to I be able to remember what you've done through your son. And so, Lord, I repent before you and before others. Because God's holiness is majestic. His holiness restores all things through Jesus, through his son. And I want to make sure to remember that because holiness, I would hope, and forgiveness, I would hope, would be a lifestyle of ours. 
that we would have a lifestyle of, of forgiveness, that a love that forgives is, is a love that restores. I think that's just a beautiful thing for believers because when we looked at last week, if you were here with us, do you remember those definitions that people had of Christians? Those definitions that were not love? They called Christians hypocrites. They called Christians all these things except for love. And so maybe we can show people love through being holy, being a people who forgive. And uh, I just want to take a moment, too, to just give you like a personal thing in, in my life that I had to do that maybe will help you out as well. Uh, in my life, I've, I've had to deal with a lot of things, uh, especially with my family. And I've had to have these moments of, of truly forgiving someone. But this is what I had to do, and maybe this will help you out this morning. But for me, there have been moments where I've had to pray about something once and just like walk away. Like it was something I couldn't just keep praying about. Because if I kept praying about it, I would keep thinking about it. And if I kept thinking about it, I kept worrying about it. And if I kept worrying about it, I'd just get anxious and I'd get mad and I'd get angry. And so what I had to do is just had to pray about it once, leave it at the foot of the cross, leave it to Jesus and say, God, I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust you and I'm just gonna walk away. Like I just cannot pray about it anymore. And so maybe, maybe you needed that this morning because maybe you keep praying about something which leads you to keep thinking about it, then you keep worrying about it, which leaves you in a position of always anxious, always angry, always in this position of hate. And so I want us to be a people who can let things go to the Lord and say, Lord, you are holy. You restore all things, but God, I'm just gonna leave it here. I'm gonna leave it here, I'm gonna walk away. And so that's the first thing that we see is that love is holy. So here's the next thing I want us to see. And it's still in verse six, but it's that part where it says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. But rejoices with the truth. That little statement right there, I think, shows us that love is honest. Love is honest. We should be a people who we don't delight in evil. We don't delight in wrongdoing or someone else doing wrongdoing, but we should delight in the truth. We should delight and rejoice in the truth. And so I want to make sure that I identify what Paul is talking about when he, when he says the word truth. Because right now we live in a day and age and a time where people say, you know, my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth and we are totally okay. You see, that actually doesn't make logical sense because there has to be something in this world called objective truth. And what that means is that it's true for all people, all times, and all places. And so um, let me give you just a couple of examples. Someone might say, Misael is in Owasso. And someone might say, no, Misael is in Tulsa. And both of them are like, well, that's my truth, and, and you just have to respect it. But it's like, no, guys, I'm in Tulsa. Like, I, I'm, I can't be in two places at once. It just doesn't make sense. I'll give, you, I'll give you another example. Imagine that you're in school and you, and you have this project. And so you're doing this project and you think it's awesome. You think you're gonna get an A because you put so much work into it and you turn it in and the teacher calls you to the office or to their desk. And they say, hey, come here, come here. And so you go over to the desk and the teacher goes, hey, um, you did a great job. It was perfect, but I'm actually gonna give you a C. And you're like, what? 
Like you just said it was awesome and perfect and, and I, I thought I did like A-level work. And they say, no, it's because you turned everything in with a blue folder. I just don't like the color blue. And so that's my truth. And so my truth is that I hate the color blue and so I'm gonna give you a C. And you're like, well, that's not fair. You see how illogical it is to say my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. There has to be a standard and God is that standard of truth. And so I can point to one of the most logical, objective truths in the world, and that's gravity. And I love it because I don't float. You know, I'm on the ground. Gravity keeps me centered. And, you know, you can try to test gravity that it doesn't exist, but let me know how that goes. And so gravity is one of those objective truths. And so the reason I say all of this is because just as we have to remember who love is in a world that has distorted what love is, we have to remember who truth is in a world that has distorted what truth is as well. And so I just want to throw these things at you about who truth is and what truth is. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 6, we see that there's a spirit of truth. And it says this, we are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. We also see that there's a word of truth. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says this, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. There is a word of truth. We see that Jesus himself is true and the truth. In 1 John, or John chapter 1, uh, verse 14 it says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And then John 14, verse six, I love what it says. Jesus says this, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And it's just this beautiful picture of what truth is and, and love is honest. And because love, love is honest, God is honest. And because God is honest, God is truth and God is true. And as we look at the Bible, we are to rejoice in truth, being to re rejoice in the Lord, rejoice with him. And what I love about the Bible, I mean, you could go to literally Genesis 1.1 and here's what I find fascinating. Genesis 1-1 doesn't start off giving you an argument for the existence of God. It doesn't say, okay, here are the, all the reasons why God exists. No, it just says, in the beginning, and just goes. Because it already says God exists. It already assumes, presumes, and knows that God is real and God exists. And so I just want to give you one, uh, one little uh, apologetic argument and apologetics is, is this thing that people use in order to give arguments for God and who God is in a very logical way. And so I want to give you this apologetic argument. I'm just going to give you one, and we could talk about like so many. But here's, here's one that I absolutely love, and it's called the cosmological argument. And the reason I love the cosmological argument is because it helps us logically understand that every cause Everything that's happened has someone or something that has caused it. So every cause has someone who has caused it. 
And what I love is that it actually makes you say, okay, this cause caused this, that caused this, that caused this, and eventually you have to get to something that's eternal, which is beautiful because you either say, okay, the universe or the world is eternal, or there is a loving, powerful, almighty, all-caring, all-knowing, eternal God who loves and restores and redeems and is with us. This almighty, this eternal Lord who just didn't create and leave us, but he created and loved us and, and he sent Jesus at the perfect time to show that he is holy, that he is true to show that he has thought of us, to show that he was the only way to make peace between humanity and between God the Father. And I love it because there's this story of this man who was hiking. And uh, so he's just hiking around with his buddies and you know he's trying to be all cool and he accidentally tripped on a rock. And he's like, man, who placed that rock there? And one of his buddies was like, well, I think that rock has just always been there. That rock is eternal. And the guy that tripped was like, well, that's interesting. Because something that's eternal isn't it technically God? Because only God can be eternal, so we're gonna call this rock God? That really doesn't make sense. God is eternal, he's the only one. He's the only one who ever has been, ever is, and ever will be. Some people call him that he is the eternal mover. He's the one who has moved all things into motion, that he is the only constant. And so in our life, when we're in these moments of despair, maybe in these moments that we just don't understand what's going on, we can lean on the Lord of saying, the Lord is holy, the Lord is true, the Lord is honest. And if we are a people who know love and have love, I hope that these scriptures at this moment would push us to be a people that tell the truth, a people who are honest because love always seeks the truth. Love always seeks to have the truth and to know the truth and to seek forgiveness as uh, this way of restoration for us. And so once again, verse six says that love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And so maybe this morning, it will be a, an incredible morning just to be honest with ourselves because maybe you've been walking around with the mask on. Maybe you've been walking around lying to yourself, saying, yeah, I'm all good, but you're really not. Maybe you've been trying to put on this perfect show for church or this perfect show for your family, and you're not letting them into your life. And I, I wanna let you know this is a perfect moment to say, look, because I'm a child of the truth, I cannot live a fake life. I cannot live with a mask on because it's human, it's, it's human nature to do that. It's human nature to live with the mask. It's human nature to lie. It's human nature to fake things. But as children of God, we are to live lives of honesty, lives of holiness, lives that truly say, look, I am not okay, but that's why I need God. That's why I need Jesus in my life. Because it is, it is only through Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection that I can be holy. And it's accepting that in which I can be restored and forgiven. And so there's these two statements I wanna give you is that to find forgiveness and restoration with God, we must be honest with our sin. To find forgiveness and restoration with others, we must be honest with our sin. 
And when I was seven years old, that's exactly what happened. When I was seven years old, I understood that there was nothing that I could do, that God had already done everything. I understood my sin and I understood the weight of that saying, it weighs me down so much I can't even reach God. But what's beautiful is that God said, hey, I'm gonna reach down to you. I'm gonna reach down to you and I'm gonna love you. And so maybe this morning you're like me when I was seven of saying, I can't, but God can. And that's a beautiful statement to make. And so let's pray together in this moment. And I wanna pray together in this way. It's maybe a prayer of, of repentance. Maybe it's a prayer of adoration of saying, Lord, I've understood how holy you are. That Lord, you have made me clean. Lord, that you sent Jesus to be the one that touches me. And instead of me making him unclean, he makes me clean. Lord, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm, I'm grateful for the ability to just go verse by verse in what love is. God, we fail so many times. We fail to love so many times, Lord. So would you do something in us and through us, Lord, in order for us to do something, God, for your name's sake that is absolutely beyond us. Lord, because we understand that when we are walking in sin and this unrepentant sin, Lord, we understand that you first have to work in us before you work through us. So Lord, I pray in this moment that if there's someone who needs to forgive someone else, or if there's someone in here that needs to seek forgiveness in light of being someone who, is, who understands that love is holy and that love is honest, God, I pray that they would do that today. Lord, that they would shoot a text, that they would make a phone call, that they would have a conversation. Lord, because it's just so amazing to see how you've extended forgiveness to us. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for who you are. I pray that you continue to just send revival in this place. Send revival in the hearts of, of my family in front of me that they would walk in your truth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.